Round one, go. Well, I love the sound of that bell, Marty. You know why? Why is that, Doug? Because it reminds me when my order's up at McDonald's. No, it doesn't. I'm just kidding. It's Doug and Marty versus the world. It's Saturday. It's a beautiful uh, day over here on the west side. Nothing but rain and clouds, just the way I like it. <laughs> this is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon, Doug and Marty versus the world. Welcome to the show. We have a great show in store for you. But before we get going, though, before we dive into the good stuff Did, today, did you hear? I want to tell you, brother. Did you them? hear that the coronavirus caught Donald Trump and is very nervous about that? Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> you know, can I kind um, of save my thing first before you okay, go, go to ahead. the news, brother? A former employee of yours, a friend of the show, a friend of yours and mine both, is getting married today. So we want to really? give them a shout oh. out today to Kathleen Estabrook and Chase Strong for their nuptials today. So, oh, man. We're proud That's of you right, guys. but we can't go to the wedding because we're locked down. Yeah, there we we're go. We're locked down, brother. Getting married, brother. That's cool. You've I know, getting married a long, long time. Right? Getting married is awesome. So, um, that's amazing. You know, I, I everybody deserves a second chance. A second chance at love, brother. Even even Kathleen. God bless you, Kathleen. Hope you have a great, great life. Um, so, I heard uh, under a good, you know, the boogeyman – looks under his bed to see if Chuck Norris is there. You know that, right? Yes, I but do. But who does Chuck Norris look under his bed for, brother? Are you Donald kidding? Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, for those that I'm out there, I saw a Rambo picture with Donald Trump's head um, put on, superimposed on the, Donald, the uh, Rambo muscle. Yeah. I'm like, that's funny. Okay, that's hilarious. Um, but good for him. You know, he's fighting this thing and beating it. He's back to work. So, um, I love Symptom the, free. Symptom free. I love the, uh, there's a lot of pushback on the media. There's a lot of discussion on the left as they're like, no, he can't do this. Well, he came out, uh, he came out Monday night. Yeah. And he said, uh, don't fear the, don't fear the coronavirus. Don't let it, don't, I mean, it was great, brother. I was like, come on. Isn't that a song? Yeah. Yeah. More cowbell, baby. There we go. And did you ever look at that video? I did. That was fun. That's more cowbell. Ding, ding. Don't fear the reaper. Anyway, don't fear the coronavirus. I thought that was that was amazing. So uh, coming up on Monday, October twelfth, you know what's going to happen, right? What's that? All heck is going to break loose, to use your terminology. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Amy Comet Barrett is coming up for confirmation hearings, yes, hearings starting Monday. Yep. on Monday. So if you have uh, if you haven't bought stock in a news network, you might want to do that right now because their ratings are going to be high, brother. People are going to be glued to that. Do you I know think they'll pull out Brett Kavanaugh on her? I don't. Um, I think they will be nasty, but it won't be the Brett Kavanaugh nasty. Um, one, he has they have more to lose. And from the, from the political left, this is replacing a liberal judge, a, a liberal-leaning judge that advocates for the policies they agree in. And we're pre- replacing her with another her that is more conservative, a pro-life leaning Catholic judge, right? This young is going to be there a long time. That is more reason for them to be volatile and aggressive. But the fact that she is a woman, the fact that she has an incredible judiciary record. Now, I think those are all things why they won't be as aggressive to me. You know, I may be wrong. Who knows? You're, you're living in a fantasy world, Mr. McClendon. <laughs> That's my, that's Man, my is, there room, is there room in there for me, brother? Because I want to come over there. <laughs> Who can make the sunrise? The riding man can. 
If you haven't seen Marty McLennan's new TV commercial, people, you got to see that. Is that on your website yet? You can put that on your website, brother. That's going to be, that is funny, dude. I am still hoping. I know, I know. I watched that like 30 times. I'm like, that is funny. Marty McLennan singing. Uh, It's not very good. If nothing else, you've got to watch it and see Marty McLennan singing because he did it on camera in front of God and everyone. And it was awful. And it was wonderful. That's right. I, that's I'm, I'm like that's my best friend right there. You're a, you're the man. Hey, speaking of Supreme Court, you know now the federal Supreme Court is different from the state Supreme Court. Did you, did you know that? Because the federal Supreme Court, the president appoints the justice. The justice goes through a Senate confirmation process, and then basically it's a lifetime or whenever they retire appointment. If something odd doesn't happen to them, like they you know, get impeached or something. Mm-hmm. Here in Washington State, we have a little different process than that. The voters appoint the Supreme Court justice and they get to serve for four years. <laughs> so it's a and little different. run for your election again. Is right. it four years? Six years. Six. Six years. That was a person that's hoping the voters pick him for Supreme Court justice. Our very special guest, Judge Dave Larson. Yay! Welcome to the show, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Didn't mean to chime in there on the six years, but you know, no, you're good. Uh, I, I did not know that, and I'm sure our listeners didn't know it as well. That both the U.S. Senate positions and the state Supreme Court are both six-year positions. Yeah, there's nine justices, so three are up every two years, and this year there's four because uh, Charles Wiggins, Justice Wiggins, retired. So they and he wasn't up again for two years. So the appointee for that has to run this year. That's, that would be a special election because the term would still be the staggered term or does it? Yeah, so they'd have to run, that person would have to, it's, it's uh, uh, Justice Whitener uh, has an opponent and uh, she has to run again in two years. The position I'm running for, uh, Justice Fairhurst retired. And so Governor Inslee appointed somebody in December that she had, that took office in January this if if i win then i'm in for six years okay because, because this this justice fairhurst term would have ended this year so gotcha. so we'll you know say. what's you know the thing about uh judge larson is you know we we got to be real careful about how we interview him because we can't ask him about you know cases and things like that that aren't haven't been decided things like that so we're going to be try to be more a little more high level but i do have uh one case that I just got to get a ruling on in the case between COVID-19 and Donald Trump, which way would you rule on that case? Would you well, go for I, I, um, I, I, I probably shouldn't because that would be a jury trial. So the jury would determine that, right? <laughs> well but, played. Well yeah, played. Yeah. I'm just saying if I was the judge, man, COVID's out of here. I'm I sorry. Trump wins. 27 <laughs> days or well, 26 days. We'll find out how the jury rules on that one. So, there you go. I'm just so, saying. So one thing I wanted to add on the difference between the state and the federal system, as you indicated, this federal system, the judges are confirmed. In Washington state, they're not confirmed. Uh, so in other words, uh, whoever the governor is, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Democrat or Republican, they get to appoint the, any, for any vacancies. Since Governor Inslee's been governor, there's, there's, been, uh, there's 205 judges in Superior Court, uh, Court of Appeals, and Supreme Court. And Governor Inslee has appointed 111 of those 205 judges with no confirmation process. So those judges were picked by one person. 
they have to go through a ratings process yeah. before he'll appoint. But the only way for the people to ever have a voice is for somebody to run. And there's only been 24 contested elections of those 111 appointments, of which I'm one of them. So, so Doug that, and I talked about this before, Judge Larson, uh, about wh- how many elections go uncontested. And this is something we beat the drum on over and over again. In most elections, when it's not a presidential year, it's about 3,000 elections across the state that go uncontested. That's insane. And so you're saying that the same thing happens in the judge races, where just very few of them are contested. So the, the governor at the time, of course, last eight years, Ben Inslee, can appoint a judge that sits on this thing. And then when it come up for uh, re-election or election for that matter, there's no one that contests it, what you're saying? Yeah, and there could be a judge that goes through their entire career without ever having a contested election. So as a judge, you always, you don't want contested elections. You want, you want to be able to keep your job. And the difference for judges is we're lawyers and we have law practices and everything. We leave them to go become judges. So it's kind of, it's, hard to get opposed but at the same time we don't own the position it's the people's position it's not it's not our position i've been opposed when i first got appointed to my position i got opposed and the best advice i had is run run like your life depends on it and then somebody won't run against you again i won 67 percent to 33 percent i think doug said this before about the old agely wisdom like you know when you if don't get you don't shouldn't have to fight, but if you if you do fight, so you win the, all the fights coming down the road, right? Right. You know, it's it's the idea that you're running to win and running to win decisively. So, well, good. I, so, well, yeah. I this year, there's more. There, this year, there's more at stake than ever when it comes to to issues that face the people. Oh, it, um, everybody out there said, "Yep, that's that's for sure." And no matter where you're coming from in the political spectrum, there are so many issues that we're facing this election cycle. Not only people, your values, your faith. You know, we talked to a Christian audience, um, but in education, taxes, property rights, COVID. I mean, it, on and on and on. So it's a it's a an election to choose. You know, which way we will go. That happens to do with the court as well. Now, in a couple, just a minute or so in this last, this first segment, you ran in 2016. What a great experience. You were running, there was a couple other guys that we ran and had on the show as well that were um, fantastic candidates. I'm glad you're back. Um, what has changed with uh, Dave Larson in the last four years? Well, I'm, I'm obviously older and got grayer hair now, but uh, more, uh, but it's, um, you know, I, I didn't anticipate running again, but with all the things that are happening, I mean, I just, couldn't live with myself if I, you know, because, you know, our founders will, will then give up their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. Uh, and I'm just asked to kind of put, put some ideas out there that I think will help the state, not just in the judiciary, but, but broadly. Going back to some very fundamental things that, that apply across the board, you know, the common denominators that can actually bring us together instead of drive us apart. Because that's where we need to go. Because they're there's a, and, I, and I've talked about this before, the Constitution, how, how grounding that can be if we focus on it. Like even the police brutality that's going on, the alleged police brutality that's, that's out there. I used to, in law school, I was uh, worked for the prosecutors in the civil divi- prosecutor's office in the civil division in Pierce County, and then for a private firm that defended uh, uh, police departments. And it's, they're all constitutional violations. It's still a constitution. So we, unless we ground ourselves back in those values of the Constitution, we're gonna we're gonna get into the, go into the dustbin of history. No, I couldn't agree more. This is wonderful. So, Doug. So uh, the uh, 
website is larson4wa.com if you're interested in jumping over there. And then you also have Dave Larson for Supreme Court Justice on Facebook as well. On your website, uh, it says that you will uphold the law and constitution as written. So what do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's uh, hopefully it's very basic that if you're out there trying to predict what you're doing in your life, did you look at the law and you kind of go, oh, that, that's what that means? So, okay, I'll do that. And if you can have a judge that just decides for themselves that, well, I don't, I don't agree with that meaning. I think the meaning needs to be different. Then um, all of a sudden you would just have chaos and you're left to, uh, left to um, uh, the whim of whoever's sitting on the bench. And so we, we have to be that neutral and detached magistrate that, that, uh, that makes society stable. We're supposed to be the peacekeeping branch of government and our egos need to be checked at the door. Wow, I like that answer a lot. Well, this is Doug Bassler and Marty McClendon, Doug and Marty versus the world. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Doug Bassler, candidate for U.S. Congress in Washington's 9th Congressional District. We're facing some of the biggest challenges of our lifetime and possibly in our nation's history. It's more important now than ever that we all stand up for our Christian values and heritage. Our values have created freedom and liberty previously unseen in the world. And now what used to be fringe elements are becoming mainstream and are threatening our religious freedoms. I'm committed to fight for our First Amendment rights, really for all of our God-given rights, and to represent us faithfully in Washington, D.C., and I can use your help. Would you consider going to my website, dougbassler.com, and making a financial donation of any size? It will be greatly appreciated. I want to thank you in advance for all you do. I'm Doug Bassler, and I approve this message. For our government to work the way it was intended, citizens from all walks of life must volunteer to run for elected offices. But how do you begin? EasyPoliticalCampaigns.com can help. You'll receive expert help to navigate your campaign and communicate your message. From candidate filing to voters pamphlet statements, fundraising and social media, you'll find what you need to run an effective and affordable campaign. EasyPoliticalCampaigns.com. The road to victory starts here. All right, it's round two, Doug and Marty versus the world. The world's not looking so good right now because that left hook, Marty just landed on it, but uh, you never know. You got to keep keep on it until you win. Uh, this is Doug Bassler, by the way. And Marty McClendon, welcome back to the show. And Doug's given us a lot more credit than he deserves. Obviously, we weren't <laughs> doing much to it at all, but with our special guest uh, brought in the heavyweight and he's in that, with the three of us, we're taking on the world with style, man. It's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should uh, get out of the boxing uh, thing and get into the wrestling, you know, because those guys get to like jump over and grab metal chairs and stuff like that. Maybe we need a metal chair. A little tag team. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. So our very special guest is Judge Dave Larson. He is running currently for the Washington State Supreme Court and uh, obviously uh, enjoys uh, Doug and Marty's hearty endorsement. Uh, We like the guy. Um, so just be sure to get that ballot back in, uh, by the third, you know, one of the things that, um, Judge Larson brought up in the first segment is this, 
unopposed thing, you know, where judges are unopposed. And then, you know, when, when a, a judge is opposed, these races are nonpartisan. So you can't tell whether the person's Republican, Libertarian, Democrat, you know, or whatever that thing Marty is. Um, it's, that was a joke, Marty. You're supposed to laugh, brother. Um, but uh, the, uh, how do you know, how do you decide uh, how to, you know, vote for a judge? I mean, it seems it's a little bit confusing. What, what, what advice do you have for us, Judge Larson? Well, the real test for a judge is not what our personal beliefs are, our personal opinions are. The test for a judge is our ability to overcome them. I know some very liberal judges and I know some very conservative judges that have the ability to decide cases based on the law and the facts. And I know, I know some that, that can't separate their personal opinions from what they do. And those judges shouldn't be on the bench because it creates a problem for the system. Because again, you got to be able to come to a neutral and fair magistrate. And this is in the trial courts and the appellate courts have to be neutral and impartial because we are kind of, um, some people don't like the, the, uh, the analogy, but we're kind of like the referees. When I say peacekeeping branch, we're supposed to also be kind of a beacon of justice. And, and like whenever I have the opportunity, uh, when it's not corny, I talk about at the end of the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, we end with liberty and justice for all. I always say the reason is because you can't have one without the other. And we're the liberty, we're the, the justice arm of liberty. You know, we're supposed to preserve freedom. We're supposed to make it so that society feels just and fair. And, um, and I'm not so sure we've done a good job at that uh, in the courts. And like I've said in other occasions, we're so, these days we're so interested in getting our way that we've lost our way. You know, and, and lost our way in many ways. And some of those, again, those things that our founders were looking really at the wisdom of the ages when they developed our form of government. And uh, we just need, and we're stuck, kind of stuck in the arrogance of the present. And we need to get back to that. And the justice system in some ways contributes to that by the way we conduct our business. Now, I know you've done some stuff like this um, in your current role as judge to actually make change. Because obviously when people come to you, um, they're in trouble. They've gone through something. Um, You can't change what's happened to them and the choices they made, but you can help them get on a different trajectory, right? In right. some ways. Yeah. Well, the first, yeah, the first thing that we all have to realize is justice comes from how we live, how we treat each other, right? And then the courts can only repair what's when there's failure, right? We can only help repair it. And in the area of criminal law, somebody's uh, committed or is accused of committing a crime, they're guilty yet until they're actually convicted in some way, either by a plea or a trial. But still, people are, you know, the idea of how we treat people in court is significant. I call it the magic of dignity and respect. And uh, I get people every once in a while come up to me in the community and say, thank you for changing my life because you can have an impact. My motto is I run a repair shop, not a junkyard. The point is, is that it's an opportunity to get somebody that's at a low and help them have a better life if they're willing to do it. And and that's where the, the key is, if they're willing to do it. And we deal with addiction, mental illness, and a bunch of severe social issues and, uh, that's a whole topic conversation by itself. I mean, how does that, you know, when you're talking about dealing with uh, mental illness, I mean, that seems like that would be challenging. How do you, how do you deal with that? It is because, well, right now the system is so fragmented and um, in, in a number of ways and siloed in so many ways. 
I'll give you an example. Um, um, if somebody comes into court and they're ready, say they got what's called a, a co-occurring disorder where it's mental illness and addiction at the same time. And they want, they finally said enough's enough. I want help. You know, in most courts and we were doing more with therapeutic courts, but in most courts it's going, okay, go get treatment. And they got to wait two or three weeks. In the meantime, with a heroin addict, their number one fear is withdrawal. And the reason that they're stealing and everything else is because they need to keep, they need to, they don't want to go, they don't want to go on a withdrawal. And so basically they're left unsupported. And we, in 2008, with that first economic problem, they got rid of a lot of the detox centers. And so those, so there's not a lot of those available. So basically for three weeks, they got to figure out how they're going to get, you know, keep from having withdrawals and everything else. Meantime, they relapse. They may not show up for court again and get a warrant and everything else. So uh, there is hope. There's there's movement towards this. But one of the reasons I'm running is because we need more of a statewide strategy for dealing with this. Because it's we shove it onto local government, and local government can't afford to deal with this. And it's not like there. It has to be all the state. It can be partnerships. It's also organizing them. But basically, it's when it's if somebody is not willing to change, there's not much we can do. Put them in jail, do everything, and all these other things. Uh, but a lot of a lot of them aren't fearful of jail. I mean, they're more fearful. They're looking for the five minutes in front of them, right? Not the long term. And so the, I've developed I developed a strategic plan in 2018 that was adopted as priority four by the Board of Judicial Administration. And then I've written a paper last year called Justice Involved Therapeutic Intervention that basically has a plan where we, it's not that we have to spend a lot more money, we just organize better. We have what's called a warm handoff. So somebody, if somebody's ready, we're able to get them into treatment quicker and, uh, and do things. And then better communication. And I can share example after example of how we don't communicate with the different disciplines and end up with the system itself creates more problems. Uh, if you want me to share an example, I'll share one if you wish. Yeah. Okay, so somebody decides to go to inpatient treatment. And so they're in inpatient treatment. Nobody bothers to communicate with the courts, and they have court dates. So they don't show up for a court date. They get a rest warrant. They get stable. They're, they're clean and sober. They get out maybe into a clean and sober living. Maybe they even get a job. And all of a sudden, the warrant catches up with them. And so Warren catches up with them and not many people know that their insurance is then, while they're in jail, their insurance is suspended and it takes a while to get it back once they're out. They might lose their housing, they might lose their job. So all the things they did to make headway that gets in a simple call to the court or some way of communicating to the court system that somebody's in that position. And even there's privacy issues, everything else. But the point is, is figuring out a way to make sure we know so that we don't issue a warrant. We know where they are so we can summon them, we can advise them, and they need to come back into court. That's a very simple solution and doesn't cost any money. And it, all, the other thing that doesn't cost any money is a shift in our attitude and approach mm-hmm. um, and uh, on a lot of things. So as, as far as systemic change, when it comes to the court system, there's a lot of the good ideas you have. That's something that has to be done in the legislature or that's something the court system can do itself. Is To your point, before I finish here, um, you have discretion as a judge, but not every judge has the same sort of temperament or decision-making. So you don't have consistency. If you're a person coming before a judge, it depends on who's, which judge you're coming before. And it depends on what kind of like um, response you might get or compassion or whatever. That needs to be a little bit more streamlined, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, and the um, uh, that's where the approach comes in because um, and the attitude and approach towards justice. It's a combination of the legislature and the courts. The courts create the rules for the courts. I mean, there's a statute that says if a court rule that affects procedure for how a court operates is inconsistent with a statute, the court rule controls. But if it's substantive, like something that affects your substantive rights, you know, or the merits of the law, you know, of a a dispute, then the legislature controls the law there. Really what it comes down to is funding. And and that's where the legislature has the, the power of the purse in terms of helping us in the courts. Um, Each court is responsible for its own therapeutic courts. And so you can imagine each court having to create, like in our court, we created a community court. We did it with chewing gum and bailing wire. We had no money. Hmm. And and basically, um, other courts get grants and everything, but there's no, what my plan, my suggestion for all this is instead of each individual court creating this this system, of care and everything that we create a regional care like they're doing now they're already spending money creating community mental health right Mm -hmm. why not plug the courts into that rather than creating a whole different system and so i as a judge in federal way or somebody is in a judge in bellevue or or ording or wherever they are small community can just plug into that system instead of creating their own therapeutic system so all of a sudden we have the ability to do wraparound care and everything else. Other ideas that would work would be like right now, community colleges, they have social work and, and uh, training and SUD training, so substance use disorder training. Why not give those students a clinical, clinical experience with the courts, right? Because they need clinical experience, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing is jails. Right now, when, so like I said earlier, by federal and state law, when somebody goes to jail, their insurance is suspended, their Medicaid. So if somebody's going to get treatment in jail, it's going to be paid for by the jurisdiction. So why not provide a carve out an exception if somebody's in what's called a therapeutic detention facility that Medicaid stays in effect to pay for the treatment that if they're out of custody would be paid for and the city can detain them. When some, for the people that are chronic, you can sentence them to one of those facilities um, and, and, uh, and they can stay there and get treatment versus right, right now they can walk out of inpatient. And uh, this would be, so, I mean, those are ideas that, that, that can come into being if we put our heads together and cooperate with each other and break down the silos. Sounds like an amazing solution. And, um, you know, this is part of, I think, one of the reasons why we want, want to see you on the Supreme Court is that we can, the Supreme Court affects what happens down in the lower courts, right? So we're going to be back after the break. This is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon, Doug and Marty versus the world. We'll be right back with our special guest, Dave Larson. When you want to take your business to the next level, nothing drives traffic and increases sales like TV advertising. And EasyTVSpots.com is your best choice for high quality, effective TV ads. Contact us today to learn how easy it is to reach thousands of your ideal prospects with targeted, addressable TV. Grow your sales, revenue, and profit the easy way with EasyTVSpots.com. Broadcast, cable, and online TV made easy. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon from Doug and Marty vs. the World. Heard all across the state on the ACN Network. Marty, I heard that... uh, 
what is it, 40% of uh, Christians are not even registered to vote? According to Barna, almost 50% of Christians aren't registered to vote. And then out of that, only about half of those actually cast a vote in most elections. You know, I think it's our responsibility as Christian citizens of America that we should vote. What difference does it make if Christians vote? Well, the difference is it's huge. If Christians vote and get engaged and you bring your conversation, salt and light to the conversation, when we don't, there's a void, right? What happens to a void? It's filled. So what we have is what we have now, gender craziness, uh, attack on marriage, attack on our First Amendment rights. All these things happen. The things we complain about is because we're not engaged. So, you know, now in Washington State, you can literally register right up to the day of the election. You can do same-day registration. So if you're a Christian and you haven't voted, now's your chance. Get in there and vote. Smart business people know that nothing sells like video. And EasyVideoProduction.com is your best choice for high-quality video production done right. You'll love EasyVideoProduction.com's professionalism, creativity, and skill for your corporate video, product video, TV commercial, and more. When you need video for Facebook, YouTube, websites, or TV, EasyVideoProduction.com is the one to call. EasyVideoProduction.com, your video done right. Well, three bells and all is well, but I say that every week. This round three, this is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon, welcome back to the show. We're over halfway done, brother. We're on the third leg. We're uh, rocking the world with Judge Dave Larson. He is a candidate for the state Supreme Court, a very important uh, position. And uh, in the last segment, um, Judge Larson was talking about you know, some alternative ways to encourage people to get off the treadmill of, you know, drug mm-hmm. abuse, mental health problems, things like that. And to begin to, uh, you know, just not, just not live in that. But, you know, one of the things that we didn't really talk about judge Larson was, you know, these guys are first offenders, you know, that, you, right. you know, once the, how, how does this affect the first offender? Well, the, the, in courts of limited jurisdiction where I am, and, by, and you know, everybody thinks, well, they're just misdemeanors, right? So they don't put a lot of resources behind it. But just imagine the people that are out there on the streets and, and the chronic criminals that we're seeing, that we're hearing about in the news and everything. What if somebody would have taken the time, the first time they ever showed up in court to try to figure out the underlying root causes of why they were doing what they were doing? The very first time. Got them into treatment. Got them in uh, mental health care got him education, got him job training or whatever, what would happen, what would happen to that person's life versus, versus uh, saying, you know, well, it's just a misdemeanor, what the heck, and, and, and just a misdemeanor, try getting, a convict, uh, try getting a job with a theft conviction, right? And so there's a lot of movement, uh, you know, the Clean Slate Act last year, which was, try, which was try to wipe out people's criminal records, which, again, is keeping them from getting employed and everything. I put that on his head and asked, why can't we spend more time, number one, preventing, number two, the first time somebody's there, work with them then when it's still in control, we're able to, we're still able to spend a lot less resources to get them in control. But, and then as things graduate, you intervene, at a, intervene a little bit with a little bit more intervention each time until you reach that point where they're chronic and the jail I talked about that detention facility can be used to finally say, okay. Uh, but what ends up happening is just the pure punitive system right now is not working because like I said, it's, um, 
it's it's the, the 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 drugs and the mental illness and the combination when that happens is the voices they have coming from that are stronger than the voices they have coming from the bench. Right. Now I have a question for you. I'm a, I was a conservative. I'm coming to you. I'm like, okay, we know we want to have law and order. We know we want people to get the help they need, whether it be, like you said, housing or drug rehab or whatever. Uh, and yet these are people that are entering the court system typically because they broke the law in some sort of way. And yet there are people out there that conservatives would say, well, that, what about the people that don't commit crimes? Um, that still need the same help. That's the legislature, I know, but we need to fix the problem earlier on with the legislature and saying a lot of these issues come because of whatever may be, whatever drug addiction, easy access to uh, single parent homes with uh, no fathers involved, more crime environment. Um, But you're to getting them, if we can get them early in the process and in the court system and get them the the help they need, you're saying it's gonna save money and get more people back on the street faster, right? Exactly, and the the thing is is that my job as a judge, as, as a trial judge, is when I'm meeting out sentences and everything else is, is figuring out who the can'ts are and who the won'ts are, right? Mm-hmm. So the can'ts are the people that have barriers, whatever they may be, and you try to break down those barriers and you know, get them on. And most of the time that succeeds. The won'ts are the ones that just won't engage. They continue to commit crimes regardless. And those, the punitive system, you know, is used for those folks. And then the, the more therapeutic system should be used earlier than what we're using it now with folks. And, and uh, legislators believe that the therapeutic courts are too expensive and don't help enough people. And, and the, the model that I'm advocating is called the sequential intercept model. And basically at any stage, anybody could, and you talked about this parallel system, this, or not the system that's for people that don't commit crimes. Mm-hmm. Well, you can imagine the, the reason the courts are so superior and we're and trying to be used more of as an asset to deal with this is you can imagine individual impacts, mental illness, abuse, drug abuse and everything. That is an individual impact and several people never commit a crime, even though they're addicted and mentally ill, right? Mm-hmm. And you got the folks, so that's individual impacts. You've got community impacts, syringes in, in, uh, in behind buildings and, out in, and on the street, uh, theft, car prowling. Uh, those types of things. Those are community impacts. And where the courts are involved is where community and community impacts and individual impacts meet. So the goal of the courts is to try to push people back to where, to where they can deal with their individual impacts and stop creating community impacts. Right. And that's what we need. We need to have a system that's, that's not as parochial as we are now to be able to integrate ourselves more into, into that. And people would wonder why would the Supreme court, they just decide cases. Why would they care? Well, the Supreme Court, again, is the boss of the courts, and there needs to be leadership because we're dying in our communities, and right now the Supreme Court's relatively silent. We have a minority injustice commission. We have a gender injustice commission. Why not a behavioral health commission that can then focus on bringing our courts together in a, in a kind of a uniform plan to how to deal with this? Because right now, it's what we're doing right now is working, and that's why I want to run because I want to provide that hopeful, hopeful leadership. So how does that, uh, what the Supreme Court does uh, affect these lower courts? How does that, you, you mentioned that earlier, that there's a, there's a leadership role in the Supreme Court. Well, I think what it comes down to is if a municipal court judge from federal way goes down to legislature and says, we need this, right, versus a Supreme Court justice, you know, uh, and then also trying to get the, the judges together, trying to get the system together to work together. It, uh, from if it comes from that kind of leadership up top, 
uh, I think it's more likely to be successful. Because right now, each of us are independently elected officials and we do as we want. And that's, and, I'm not, and I don't think that should change. I, I, believe in, I believe it's better to inspire than to require. Uh, and I think that, but having a vision for how we can work together. One of the bills I wrote in 2017 that didn't pass, but it will pass this year, was a, was a bill that would um, uh, pro provide for uh, probation to be done in one place. So a lot of defendants, they're homeless and everything, and they have cases in four different jurisdictions. Well, that leads to failure because you have probation conditions in four different jurisdictions, you're going to fail somewhere. So why not have them supervised in one jurisdiction and report back to the other three? Other three, very simple. And so those are the kind of things we can do that are common sense. But that has, we we haven't talked much about the decisions the court's making. But some of the decisions that the court makes does affect the trial courts. There's a case, State v. Jackson, that was decided on restraints. Uh, that for years there's been. It's a constitutional right not to be in, in restraints in front of a jury when you're being tried. So if somebody's in custody, you're not supposed to be able to tell them from somebody that's out of custody, right? Well, the yep. Division I Court of Appeals extended that to pretrial hearings. So we have to take handcuffs off for pretrial hearings. And in some cases, we'll have 15 defendants in court. Some municipal courts, even some district courts, aren't relatively small courts with limited security. Some municipal, court, municipal courts meet in council chambers, the same places that city councils meet. And so you're, you're some of these people that are in court are committing, have committed violent crimes, and in some cases, they've, uh, defense attorneys have been attacked, but yet we're supposed to take off restraints uh, in pretrial hearings too, which is a lack out of touch with what really the day-to-day -day is in a, in, a, in a court, in a trial court. That makes sense. It's um, so there's no except for when this happens, or except for when they're violent, except for when they've actually made an attempt. It doesn't have any of those. It just says take the handcuffs off. Yeah, we have to. We have to go through a, a individualized to keep them on. We have to go through an indiv individualized analysis about whether that person poses a threat. And uh, versus starting with the default. And ironically, it was the defense attorneys that asked us to keep the handcuffs on back in the day because the defense attorneys are being attacked being stabbed with pens, uh, and uh, some well, there's a defense attorney in my court that was attacked with a chair. Wow. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, it has real life consequences. There's other cases too that, that uh, we've, there's a couple cases where we actually had to go to the legislature as trial judges to get the legislature to, to clear up the, the mess that the Supreme Court had made with its decision, uh, two decisions. Now, um, I know, once again, we're always coming up near a break as well, but we, we as um, voters know that every once in a while we hear these big cases that come up to Supreme Court. You can't rule on a case, but we heard about McClary, the big education thing. We heard about uh, Hearst, this big well issue that affected property rights across the state. We've heard all about these, but those are the only ones we hear about. Um, what's the workload like for the Supreme Court of Washington State? Uh, is it all, is it like every day where you're getting like more and more cases or do you have time, time to review things or? Well, I, you know, I, without being there, I couldn't tell you exactly what the numbers are, but it's, um, um, I'll handle, I'll handle 400, 400 cases a week in my court. And uh, there won't be that many decisions a year by the Supreme Court. They're a lot more intricate in their decisions. A lot more work goes into each case, but, but the Supreme Court gets to pick and choose which case it hears, just like the U.S. Supreme Court. The Court of Appeals are kind of the workhorses when it comes to the appeals. And the Supreme Court can, can deny review on, on a number of cases. So 
I couldn't tell you the exact numbers, but but it's it, they work hard. Uh, it's not easy work, and and it's a lot more, uh, you know, taxing work intellectually. Uh, so you're doing four hundred cases a week. Yeah. Oh my gosh! You must live in gig. You court must be in Gig Harbor no. or something <laughs> like go, that, where go. the where the truck where Marty lives or something. No. I mean, that's that's incredible. I I never would have dreamed. I, you know, fifteen twenty. I didn't know. Well, no, it's like, not trials. These are pretrial hearings and reviews. You know, probation reviews and everything. So on a typical Tuesday morning for the arraignment calendar, I'll have between fifty and eighty cases. Wow. In a morning. And then you um, really are Superman. There you go. Uh, Marty's got a cape you can borrow. So there's, there's a rest warrant. Oh, wait, no capes. No capes. Uh, <laughs> no capes. <laughs> we're going to be back with more with Judge Larson after the break. This is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon, Doug and Marty versus the world. For our government to work the way it was intended, Citizens from all walks of life must volunteer to run for elected offices. But how do you begin? EasyPoliticalCampaigns.com can help. You'll receive expert help to navigate your campaign and communicate your message. From candidate filing to voters' pamphlet statements, fundraising, and social media, you'll find what you need to run an effective and affordable campaign. EasyPoliticalCampaigns.com. The road to victory starts here. Hey, everybody, this is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon from Doug and Marty vs. the World. Heard all across the state on the ACN Network. Marty, I heard that, uh, what is it, 40% of uh, Christians are not even registered to vote? According to Barna, almost 50% of Christians aren't registered to vote. And then out of that, only about half of those actually cast a vote in most elections. You know, I think it's our responsibility as Christian citizens of America that we should vote. What difference does it make? If Christians vote. Well, the difference is it's huge. If Christians vote and get engaged and you bring your conversation, salt and light to the conversation. When we don't, there's a void, right? What happens to the void? It's filled. So what we have is what we have now, gender craziness, uh, attack on marriage, attack on our First Amendment rights. All these things happen. The things we complain about is because we're not engaged. So, you know, now in Washington State, you can literally register right up to the day of the election. You can do same-day registration. So if you're a Christian and you haven't voted, now's your chance. Get in there and vote. When you want to take your business to the next level, nothing drives traffic and increases sales like TV advertising. And EasyTVSpots.com is your best choice for high-quality, effective TV ads. Contact us today to learn how easy it is to reach thousands of your ideal prospects with targeted, addressable TV. Grow your sales, revenue, and profit the easy way with EasyTVSpots.com. Broadcast, cable, and online TV made easy. Ah, there it is, the saddest sound in radio. Four bells, the fourth and a final round of Doug and Marty versus the world. And uh, I just happen to be Doug. Bassler. And I'm still Marty, and we're not singing on this, on this episode. Uh, <laughs> the love boat. And our good friend, uh, well, I don't know if he's a good friend. Let's just say he's a friend. Uh, Judge Dave Larson, he is a candidate for uh, the Washington State Supreme Court and enjoys the hearty endorsement of both Doug and Marty. One of those few occasions when we agree. Actually, we usually agree on uh, candidates, I've noticed. Most things, yeah, that's right. Most you time. hardly ever endorse Democrats. 
as far well, as I've known. No, and I not. never endorse them. So <laughs> much as I love them, I don't endorse them. No, I'm, uh, you know, speaking of, I've heard over there in the 10th congressional district that there's two Democrats running. So in this particular case, I'm endorsing a write-in guy, the write-in man can. The write-in man can, and his name is Marty McClendon. So, and the write-in man can. I don't know what he can do, but he can do something. I tell you one I'm a math guy. I'm sure our guest today is a math guy as well. But when you look at it, when you have two Democrats splitting 54% of the vote, that means a third candidate, a Republican, can actually win with less than 40%. I like that. So, uh, Very cool. Yeah. So, uh, Unlike Marty, uh, Judge Dave Larson is actually on the ballot. Yes. So, <laughs> that being necessary. Yeah. Now, I've heard if they just kind of say Marty M or whatever, that they're going to count that, right? Yeah. That is what we've been told. Yep. yep. Okay. So, if well, it gets when, when to the say, by the way, when you're unopposed, the most the most feared candidate is is the guy with the hyphenated name right in. That that uh, that's that a, guy a could hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's even, but I think in Marty's case, it's even better because you got two Democrats. They're going to split the vote. They're both far left, you know, um, Antifa types, I guess. I don't know. I've, I've, I'm making that up. I don't know anything about them. But well, what uh, you have is a left of center former mayor, and what you have is an AOC type that actually was, um, well, we'll see on the referendum on the ballot, but actually it was part of the group that voted in comprehensive sex education on our kids from kindergarten through 12. People are very upset. 266,000 signatures on the referendum. So it's on the ballot. Wow. We have yeah, to get R90. But um, I know I've got- Call the, your friends in Thurston and Pierce yeah. County and tell them to write Marty McClendon. Right. Reject R90 and vote in. Write in Marty McClendon. Reject now, R90. Let's go back to Dave. That's what I'm doing. Um, now, I had the joy and the pleasure of hearing this man speak at different um, places, a political event, a, a just a civics event. And he knows a lot more than you and I do combined about the Constitution, about civics. And I know we talked off the air about this a little bit, uh, Judge Larson, but talk a little bit about the importance of civics. I mean, we, we rail against the fact that we don't think our education system is actually teaching that. And we see um, a loss of civility regarding our civics as well. People don't know how things work and, they, and then they may take assumptions. And then it's just, we, we, people talk about being partisan and, and, and divided, it starts down to loving your neighbor as yourself. It starts knowing loving God, we know in our case for being Christians, but still, how do we uh, develop that civility and the lesson of civics again in our culture and our state? Well, it's really going back to understanding some of the fundamentals of what how freedom works and freedom itself. And let's start with, with history. And, See, our founders looked at the wisdom of the ages. And like I said, I think I said earlier, we're stuck in the arrogance of the present. And if you look at history, you look at it, it's, it, the default in history has been tyranny. The default in history has been always been a, 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 a conflict between those that want to dominate and control and those that want to be free. It's been that way forever. And there's different forms of government that came up, but it's always been the government over the people, right? Mm-hmm. And then our founders kind of said, wait a minute, there's a different way to do this. Power is the, is the enemy. Power is the cancer for freedom, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to split up power. We're going we're gonna to do it in three branches, two, a bicameral legislature. So a lot of civics is teaching the structure without teaching the underlying, without giving the blueprint. In other words, you look at the, the final product, but the blueprint for it is 
goes back to understanding human nature. We don't spend enough time trying to do that. Human nature, some people think it's good. Some, some people think it's bad. It's both. The thing we have is free will. And so freedom is a very simple concept to understand in this way. I don't harm you. You don't harm me. We live by the laws and obey the laws that our elected representatives provide for us. But we have the freedom, actually not just the freedom, the right, to stand up against those laws and stand up against our elected representatives if they're wrong, so they'll change. It's that simple. Freedom breaks down when we harm each other, when we don't understand our duty to each other. And duty is not a bad word. Duty is something that's very important. I've developed two rules for myself that I try to help people, under, uh, that I talk about whenever possible. And those two rules are love the freedom of others as much or more as you love your own, number one. Number two, it's more important to do right than to be right. Now, if we follow those rules, that's how you're free. The reason we're having problems is they're on their head. It's my rights are more important than yours, and I got to be right at all costs. And I'm entitled to my opinion, and you're entitled to my opinion, too. And if you don't like it, you must be some substandard human being that is worthy of being uh, chastised versus this notion. And we talked to you, you mentioned some earlier, the, the way it's supposed to work is that all of our ideas, we have the freedom to share all our ideas and all our views and they get put into a blender. And when it comes out the other end in the legislative process are laws that we all need. But when it's about power, it's about laws that only some people want. So all the tensions we're having right now, all the upheaval that we're having, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's COVID, whatever, is the democratic process has broke down. We've lost sight of freedom. Lost sight of really means government has lost sight of its role. Uh, Article 1, Section 1 of our state constitution provides that all political power is inherent in the people. Government derives their just powers, and I emphasize just powers, from the consent of the governed. And the purpose of government is to protect and maintain individual rights. So, Doug's had a, um, um, we, we've talked before, and I think one of Doug's guests before was talking about when we removed the 12 laws that God gave us to the commandments, now we need tens of thousands of laws to replace each one because we keep on needing more. We don't trust each other. We don't have a civility. We don't have that moral compass as much in culture. You see that as well in the court system or? Well, you know, the, um, the, if, you, if, you, if you focus on what, what's legal versus what's right, then it's always going to be a moving target. Mm. And what laws seem to do is they seem to regulate people that are reasonable and the people that are unreasonable continue to violate them anyway. So unless we go back to that, I love the freedom of you. I love your freedom as much as you love my love mine. So we're not gonna and we're not gonna harm each other. And we, in other words, there's things that can be legal, but they're not right. Sounds very golden rule to me. That that's basically what it is. Right. And um, and and that's why people people say that we have a Christian government uh, that we're based on Christian principles, and to a lot of large degree we are. But that doesn't mean that. Christians get to have different freedoms than others or less freedoms than others, obviously. But the, um, the teachings of Christ are, are, if you follow those, you'd, 
you're more likely to live. If, if everybody followed those rules, you're more likely to live in a free society. Right. I know you so can. how does the, how does the government, uh, you know, we're talking about this, the overall government and freedom and stuff, but how does the court system, the justice system, you know, fit into this freedom picture? Well, if you can imagine, like I said, we're the peacekeeping branch of government. If you can imagine, I, I, I teach in some of my civics classes, I do this. I uh, have the kids get, I have the students get in a circle, four students in a circle, right? And the idea is that the, the democratic process is vote whether you go counterclockwise in the circle or clockwise on the circle, right? And so if everybody goes clockwise, if they vote clockwise and everybody's going that way, well, one of the students in that circle can try to convince the other ones to go counterclockwise, but they can't go back. They can't go counterclockwise, but they can try to convince everybody to change it, right? So, but each time they come past me, I hand them a Tootsie Roll, right? So as they're going around the circle and, and things are progressing, I hand them a Tootsie Roll. Then I try to get the students to change and go the other direction. If that doesn't work, then the dissenting student goes the opposite direction, jams everything up. They're not coming past me. They're not getting Tootsie Rolls, right? And then I say, give me a Tootsie Roll because I, I have to hire a police officer. Give me a Tootsie Roll. I have to hire, I have to build a jail. I have to build a court system and everything else. The idea of the court system is to get that circle, keep getting the circle to continue to go. People getting their Tootsie Rolls. And that Tootsie Roll is economic benefit, spiritual benefit, social benefit, all the things we get from a free and just society. Uh, and then, uh, but if you, if you can imagine, I think King County at the time when I was doing this, King County, I think 75% of the budget was spent on courts and law enforcement. Um, Which brings me back to what you just said a few, about a minute ago. And it reminded me, it's not about a ruling or a court, but you said reasonable people will follow the laws and unreasonable people will continue to break the law. And so oftentimes we try to put more legislation in. And so when those people, I'm a, pro Second Amendment guy, knowing that's a fundamental right we've been given by God, protected by our constitution. And yet we, uh, the opponents of that say, no, we need more laws. Well, the same people that broke the existing laws will continue to break the new laws as well. And all you're doing is regulating reasonable people that are law-abiding citizens. Um, how do we change that? And it's well, that comes down to, because there's a provision in our state constitution that's unique there's not many states that have that. I think one or two other states have this provision, and that's Article 1, Section 32. A frequent recurrence to fundamental principles is essential to individual right and the perpetuity of free government. So those underlying principles of freedom, the fact that we're supposed to be a moral, self-governing people, where you get your morals from is up to you. But we have to have some kind of consensus about what those are, what that looks like, Right. And so I'm not harming you. You're not harming me. That's where it starts. That's why I said justice comes from how we treat each other, right? Liberty comes from how we treat each other too. You can you see how many people are willing to give up their freedom for security now because of the things that are going on. Yeah. And, and so the, the thing is, is that the, the philosophy of freedom and like I, uh, on my Facebook page, there's a video about the oath of office and how important that is. But the, the best way to explain is that oath of office is so important because you're not just swearing to support the Constitution of the United States and the state of Washington. You're swearing to support the values, not just the words on the paper, but the underlying values that, that, and, and ideals that created those words. I love it. Judge, how can they get a hold of you? Give us your website and your Facebook page and that kind of stuff. 
Sure. Uh, the website is uh, larsonforwa.org, L-A-R-S-O-N-F-O-R-W-A.org. And it, it .com works too, uh, so both work. Um, my Facebook page is uh, Judge, if you search for Judge Dave Larson for Supreme Court, you'll find it. And uh, like it, share it, push it, push the website, do whatever you can. Um, and then and vote um, for and vote for Judge yeah. Dave Larson. You can say that on our show. It's okay. We'll yes. say it for you. Yes. And hey, then, also, uh, I just yeah, wanted to, to remind people uh, what you said off when we were on the commercial break was you used to make a lot more money as a private attorney. I want to encourage other private attorneys to, to run for judge. So we just want to thank you, Judge Larson, for being willing to serve like that. It's an amazing thing. Well, that's all the time we got, but we'll be back next week on Doug and Marty versus the world.